0: Well, good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus, the second chapter. That would be the beginning point for our study this morning, Exodus chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me welcome the many guests. We do have, as Tim suggested, probably a larger number than usual. We always have guests at West Main, but we're really glad to have you today. We hope that you're edified and uplifted by our worship together and by our fellowship and our time in the study of God's Word today. We hope you'll come back on other occasions as you may have opportunity. Well, yes, this is Mother's Day, and that may be some of the reason that some are here besides graduations. And I understand that Mother's Day is a secular holiday, and although some churches are probably having secular kind of festivities, to celebrate Mother's Day, we meet each and every Lord's Day to celebrate Jesus and to honor Him and to eat the supper. And as Ben took our minds back to the cross and thinking about Jesus, that is our primary purpose in being here today. Mother's Day actually is just a hundred years old. It was a hundred years ago uh, that Mother's Day was first conceived. But it's not a religious holy day or holiday. And yet the Christ that we have come to honor today said through the Apostle Paul to honor your mother in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 2. And so I think it is fitting and proper that we look into God's Word this morning and we think about what the Bible says about honoring our mothers and what the Bible says about the role and the responsibility that the Christian mother has. So what I want us to do this morning for a study is look at three examples of Bible mothers. And I really use these as a way to honor you ladies that are mothers this morning And also to encourage you and to motivate and inspire you to think about being the kind of godly mother that the Bible talks about that you need to be. So I want to talk about mothers that make a difference. Let's think about three Bible mothers that made a difference and how that mothers today can be like them. Let me begin first of all with Jochebed, or as some prefer the pronunciation, Jochebed. She was Moses' mother, and her story is found in Exodus chapter 2. And Exodus 2 tells us about the growth of the children of Israel as they are in Egypt. And we know, of course, at the end of Genesis how Joseph brought his family into Egypt, and the Pharaoh then uh, favored Joseph, and the people were given a choice piece there. Uh, to live in, in the land of Goshen, but they grew mightily, became a great people. And another Pharaoh many generations later arose, and he didn't know Joseph, and he became afraid of the growth of these Israelites, and so much so that we see here that an edict was given, that of the Israelite women, that when a male baby was born, that it be thrown in to the Nile River." And we read about this woman, Jochebed, that conceived a son, and it says in verse 2 that she looked at him and saw that he was a beautiful child, and she did not listen to Pharaoh's command to throw him into the river, but it says that she hid him for three months. I'm almost amazed that she could hid him for three months. He must not have had the kind of lungs my grandson has. But at any rate, she was able to conceal him for three months. But finally, she could no longer hide him. And so the passage there describes how that she built this little ark that would float. And she very carefully prepared this and put baby Moses in the ark. And she set him out on the river. And then his sister Miriam kind of hid in the shadows, so to speak and watch to see what would happen, who might find the baby. And I think, although the Bible doesn't say it, by the providence of God, that Pharaoh's daughter comes along, and she comes down to River to bathe, and she finds baby Moses, and she fell in love with him and decided that she would raise him as her own. And, of course, uh, she needed a nurse, and so... Miriam stepped forward and said, I can find a nurse for you among the Hebrew women. And, of course, this nurse was Moses' own mother. And so when we think about the occasion of his birth, it's a pretty incredible biblical narrative, isn't it, for us to think about how he was conceived and born, and yet how he was raised. And how that she risked her life for him? I mean, if she had been caught hiding this baby, no doubt her life could have been taken as well. You wonder what went through the minds of these Jewish women as they risked their lives, and certainly in her mind, to be able, by the grace of God, to spare her child. You wonder about those that possibly even listened to Pharaoh's command and would throw their babies into the river. But I think about how that Moses' mother during these formative years raised him, that she was the nursemaid to him. And no doubt that she told him because as he grows to years, he knows who he is, as we will see here in Hebrews chapter 11. And in those quiet hours, she instilled in him a deep religious faith in God that he understood who he was, that he was not an Egyptian, that he was an Israelite, and that Abraham was his father, and that he was special. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Jochebed was a protective mother, so much so that when Moses grew to years, that he took to heart all of that she instilled in him, and with all the glitter and glamour of Egypt available for the asking, that Moses chose to stand with the Hebrew slaves rather than yield his life to the way of the Egyptians. And, of course, we know that Moses then became one of the great national leaders the world has ever known. Not only that, but you think about her other son, Aaron, was the first and founder of the priesthood. And then her daughter, Miriam, was a gifted poet and musician, closely associated with her two brothers. Wow, what a mother to raise these three children that are so outstanding, as we think from the Word of God. Iacobed was a protective mother that made a difference. I'm reminding the Apostle Paul's statement about how he dealt with the Christians there. He said, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Well, that was Iacobed, a nursing mother cherishing and taking care and being gentle and protective of her own children. So, today we need protective mothers like Jochebed. We need mothers that will protect their children from physical danger. You know, there are a lot of physical dangers that lurk in the world today. It is amazing sometimes that we read of women in the world that harm their children or they allow their children to be put in harm's way or to be associated with people that would harm them. I doubt very seriously that any mother in this room would purposely harm or put their child in harm's way. And yet with the world that we live in today, mothers need to be very careful to make sure their children are protected from physical dangers and even emotional dangers. We need to remember that children are children, and their hearts are tender. They're not adults yet. And while there is so much in the world today that saturates them from things that they're not emotionally ready for, that godly mothers need to protect their children from those emotional kinds of things they're not ready for yet. And that's hard, isn't it, ladies? I mean, with the Internet out there and the things at school and so much stuff in the world uh, and mass media, it is difficult to shield your children from things emotionally that they don't need to be exposed to yet, and yet we need to work at that. But even more so, I think about the moral dangers and the spiritual dangers. We live today in the United States of America in a much different country that I grew up in back when I was a kid that I was not exposed to the moral and spiritual dangers to the degree I was to some degree, but not to the degree that young people are today. And so mothers as well as fathers need to be careful that their children are protected from the immorality that is in the world and from the exposure of a world that says that anything goes. That any kind of a sexual relationship or any kind of a liaison that you think is okay to engage in, any kind of alternative lifestyle, that that's fine. That, that ought to be accepted and embraced, even celebrated. And we must protect our children from that. And we must protect, protect them from this ecumenical spirit that is in the world today that any kind of belief and any kind of religion and any kind of thought or no religion is okay. That the Bible gives us direction. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And for a person to come into right relationship with God, it must be the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, young people, let me say something to you. Unless young people have changed recently, I suspect that some of you have mothers as well as fathers that you may feel are too protective and too restrictive. And they don't let you go some places that you think you ought to be able to go or do some things you think you ought to be able to do. May I just remind you that I'm pretty sure your parents love you and they care about you and they want what's best for you and they want to protect you from these things. And so the boundaries they set up are safeguards to keep you from getting into trouble. to to being exposed to dangers that could threaten you either physically, emotionally, morally, or spiritually. And so while you may not be happy about that, and you think you're mature enough to deal with some of these things, let me encourage you to honor your mother, to honor the rules and regulations and the things that are set down and the boundaries that they put before you. God help us to have more mothers like Jacobette, protective mothers. But there's another great mother in the Bible that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and this was Hannah, and she was Samuel's mother. 1 Samuel chapter 1 tells the story of this Hebrew woman who desperately wanted a child, in fact, a little boy. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, that as she prayed to God, it says that she made a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the infliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Well, here is she prays to God about this. She pours out her heart in a way that God listened to her prayer. In fact, It's kind of interesting here when you read this whole account of this, Eli, the priest, is seeing her coming to pray. And her lips were moving, yet he didn't hear anything the Bible says. And Eli actually thought that maybe she was drunk. And Hannah quickly lets him know that that was not the case, that she was simply praying to God. Hannah has sometimes been identified as the ideal mother. And in this text, we see the sanctity of this woman, that here was a very pious woman. And amid her trials and and the bitterness of her heart and the things that happened in her life, that she was devoted in her trust to God. And because of her godliness and devotion and trust and patience and self-sacrifice, then she came to be blessed by God. But we do see her sorrow. The Lord had shut up her womb, and yet her heart was still open to the Lord. And she longed for this son, a son to love and to nourish and to care for and to eventually give back to the Lord. And so in this supplication is this fervent prayer, this this heartfelt prayer that she pours out to God. And when he answers the prayer, we read of her song of thankfulness to God. She was grateful to have a child. I'm amazed sometimes to occasionally run across mothers that sound like their children are a burden to them, that they'd be better off without children. Rarely do I hear that among Christian mothers. But what a pity it is to have a mother that is not grateful for their children. Hannah was a mother that was thankful that God had blessed her with a child. And then we see her sacrifice. And as you read First Samuel 1 and into chapter 2, you read here that Hannah kept her word. She was true to the vow that we read about, and she gave Samuel back to the Lord, and she brought him to Eli as a lad for Eli to raise him up and bring him up in the way of the Lord. There's a very touching verse in chapter 2 and in verse 19 that Samuel ministered before the Lord as a child. It says in verse 19 that his mother used to make him a little robe, or some versions say a little coat. And bring it to him year by year when she came with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. I I, I see some of the, the moms shaking their heads, nodding their heads. And you you know, you know what was in her heart, don't you? To think about her boy being away. And maybe now it's only once a year she sees him and they come up for the yearly sacrifice. And each year she makes him a little coat. How do, how do you know what size to make? Well, I wouldn't have any idea. Women kind of know those things. They can look at it. We go shopping for our grandkids' dresses, and normal would see something on sale in Carter's or one of these places. And she says, Oh, she, I said, Well, that looks a little big. She said, Well, I'll buy it for later. I said, Well, how do you know that's going to fit? Well, she knows. Women just know these things, you know. So I can picture Hannah trying to figure how much little Samuel has grown and what size robe or coat that he's going to need. And can't you imagine this handmade coat with every stitch? It's stitched with love. Now, I would imagine a few tears as she thinks about her boy and going to see him again. Hannah was a supportive mother. And she made a difference by being supportive of her son. And, of course, Samuel became one of the great prophet and priest in all of Israel. I want to suggest that there are some lessons that we can learn from Hannah. And we can certainly learn the lesson, mothers, that God answers prayers concerning children. And that we need to pray for our children. That we need to pray to God diligently and fervently for them. And I think we can look at the fact that as we give our children to the Lord, to use them as he sees fit. Now, we don't take them off and give them to the preacher, thank you, to raise and come back every year, okay, like she took him to Eli the priest. But are you thinking about your child serving the Lord? Of how you can be used for the Lord. You know, once in a while you hear parents criticize preachers or maybe leaders in the church elders. They say, "Well, I hope I hope my son never mar- mar- becomes a preacher or marries a preacher. Or, I sure hope hope they don't be an elder and have to deal with some of that." Wow, don't don't say that. Don't say that. Think about how you're son or daughter can be used by God and use the talents, gifts, and abilities in a way that can glorify God and can bless. Support your children. Hannah was a supportive mother. Support your children, children in doing what's right. Sometimes we may be disappointed in some of their choices, but let's support them in what's right. Support them in doing the will of God. We need more mothers today like Hannah. In the Old Testament. Well, the third mother I want to talk about is Eunice, and she was Timothy's mother. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and his traveling party came to Derby, he said he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was a Greek, well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Later, Paul would write about Timothy. And call him his true son in the faith. And in the second epistle, he referred to him as a beloved son. And it was out of this relationship that we see that Timothy grows up to become a fine young man and a gospel preacher. Yet Timothy was reared in an environment that was not a favorable environment. He was in a pagan Roman province. He, While he had a devo- devoted Jewish mother and grandmother, we see that his father evidently was a pagan Greek, and so he did not have the influence of a godly father. But he had a mother and a grandmother. And so Timothy became a Christian, and Paul writes about this in Second Timothy 1, 3, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded in you also. And so this was the foundation of his faith. You know, in this age where we hear about many times a broader role for women in the church. And sometimes you hear of churches where women are taking over, even the churches of Christ, taking over the pulpit or being elders, uh, which I think is kind of hard in a sense, because the Bible says an elders be the husband of one wife. Of course, I guess with the gender confusion today, maybe that wouldn't be as hard for some minds to contemplate. But at any rate, we, we have all of this going on in our society today. And I'm afraid sometimes even in the Lord's church and those that claim to be Bible-believing churches, we begin to wonder about that a little bit. You know, I'm going to make a statement, and I'd be glad to be corrected if I'm wrong about this because it wouldn't be the first time for sure. But I I think that really that women can do most anything that a man can do except the public type of roles that are prescribed for men. I mean, when you think about all the kinds of ministry and work and teaching and so many things that women can do, whether it's an evangelism or edification, we read in the book of Acts of many different things that women can do. But I think one of the greatest roles that women have is found in the home. These women. Eunice and Lois were not public women; they were mothers at home, and they did their speaking through Timothy. And I would suggest that no mother even need to go out of her house to achieve greatness. That the home affords the Christian mother one of the greatest opportunities to make a con- contribution to the spiritual development and well-being, not only of her children, but even the church and even society. In 2 Timothy three fourteen and 15, Paul said to Timothy, you must continue in these things, which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise through faith that which is in Christ Jesus. So... You suppose that Timothy went to Bible class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and and vacation Bible school, and that's how he got all of that. No, I'm thinking that based on the text, that he got it from his mother and his grandmother, that that teaching begins at home. Eunice was an instructive mother, and we need mothers today to be Instructive mothers. And there are so many different ways that in the home that moms can make a difference and being able to instruct their children. We've gotten so busy today, and I'm certainly not critical. I'm not, I don't think it's a sin for a woman to pursue some type of employment or have some type of job outside the home. Uh, many today are able to have some gainful employment and still work in the confines of their home. But I want to say this, that if your career or occupation, ladies, is getting the, in the way of your godly role as a Christian mother, you need to rethink that career or occupation or profession. That you, we need mothers today like Eunice that have the time and the energy to take the effort to instruct their children. Now, I know I grew up in a different area in the 50s and the 60s. About 75% of women in didn't work outside the home. Today, the numbers are reversed. About 75% probably or more do have jobs outside the home. And I was blessed to have a mom that was there and to spend time in Bible reading and study. We need to get back to that. One time I was talking to my mom as I was working on some lesson material, and I called her. And I said, Mom, what do you remember about growing up? She grew up, of course, and she was born in 1925 in a very primitive time that most of us think of, at least in our country, and without many of the modern conveniences. And she said, well, one of my best memories, she said, is times in the evening when my mom would gather us all around before we went to bed, and she had seven brothers and sisters And she said, Mom would open the family Bible and would read the Bible to us. And there was a period in time where my grandfather was not a faithful Christian. And Papal Key, would, she said, would kind of stand in the back of the room and listen to Granny Key read the Bible to the kids. And Mom said, that made a difference. And when he didn't go to church, she got them all ready, all eight of them. And they went to church. She was an instructive mother. And I can't help but think, what if my Granny Key had made an excuse that she didn't have enough help at home and I hadn't taken the time to read the Bible to my mom and her siblings? I wonder if she had been a faithful Christian. I wonder today if I'd be a Christian. I wonder today if I'd be here in this pulpit. And so maybe it's a woman that some of you have never heard of back in Kentucky reading the Bible to her children around the fireplace in the evening that left a lasting memory in the heart of a little girl to be a Christian and to bring up her family in the same way. We need instructive mothers today. Mothers that make a difference. I want to close this morning with a piece that I often like to read on Mother's Day. It's by a Christian mother named Helen Young. And I read it in honor and dedication to the mothers that are here, but also as a way of encouragement and hope it will provide a little inspiration. Mrs. Young writes, there is a time to anticipate the baby's coming, a time to consult a doctor, a time to plan a diet, an exercise, a time to gather a layette, a time to wonder at the ways of God, knowing this is the destiny for which I was created, a time to dream of what this child may become, a time to pray that God will teach me how to train this child which I bear, a time to prepare myself that I may nurture his soul, for soon the time for birth comes, for babies won't wait. There's a time for night feedings and colic and formulas, There's a time for rocking and a time for walking the floor. There's a time for patience and self-sacrifice, a time to show him that his new world is a world of love and goodness and dependability. There is a time to ponder what he is, not a pet or a toy, but a person, an individual, a soul made in God's image. There is a time to consider my stewardship. I cannot possess him. He is not mine. I've been chosen to care for him, to love him, to enjoy him, to nurture him, and to answer to God. I will resolve to do my best for him. For babies don't wait. There's a time to hold him close and tell him the sweetest story ever told. To show him God and earth and sky and flower and to teach him wonder and reverence. There is a time to leave the dishes and to swing him in the park. To run a race, to draw a picture, to catch a butterfly, to give him happy comradeship. There is a time to point the way, to teach his infant lips to pray, to teach his heart to love God's Word, to love God's way. For children don't wait. There's a time to sing instead of grumble, to smile instead of frown, to kiss away the tears and to laugh at broken dishes, a time to share with them my best and attitudes. A love of life, a love of God, a love of family. There's a time to answer his questions, all of his questions, for there may come a time when he will not want my answers. There's a time to teach him patiently to obey, to put his toys away. There's a time to teach him the beauty of duty, the habit of Bible study, the joy of worship at home, the peace of prayer. For children, don't wait. There's a time to watch him bravely go to school, to miss him underfoot, and to know that other minds have his attention. But I will be there to answer his call when he comes home. And to at least listen eagerly to the story of his day. There is a time to teach him independence responsibility and self-reliance. To be firm but friendly. To discipline with love. For soon. So soon. The apron strings untied. For children won't wait. There's a time to treasure each fleeting moment of his childhood. Just 18 precious years to inspire and train him. I will not exchange this birthright for a mess of pottage called social position or business or professional reputation or a paycheck. An hour of concern may save years of heartache tomorrow. The house will wait. The dishes will wait. The new room can wait. Children won't wait. There will be a time when there will be no slamming of the doors, no toys on the stairs, no childhood quarrels, no fingerprints on the wallpaper. And then may I look back with joy and not regret. There will be a time to concentrate on service outside my home, on visiting the sick, the bereaved, the discouraged, the untaught, and to give myself to the least of these. And there will be a time to look back and to realize that these years of motherhood were not wasted. I pray there will be a time to see him an upright and honest man, loving God and serving all. God, give me the wisdom to understand that today is my day with my children, that there are no unimportant moments in their lives. And may I know that no other career is so precious, no other work so rewarding, no task so urgent. May I not defer it nor neglect it, but by thy spirit accept it gladly, joyously, and by thy grace realize that the time is short, and my time is now, for children won't wait. May God bless the mothers and soon-to-be mothers in this room to be those kind of Christian mothers. Let's close our worship this morning with a song of invitation and encouragement. We encourage you to come to Christ and to honor him and to serve him with all of your heart. If you're not a Christian this morning and through faith, repentance, and baptism, you would come to him in obedience and to walk the pathway of faithfulness throughout your life. We'd encourage you to do so. If you owe a duty to God in some way and if we can help you draw closer to him and lift you in prayer, it's to you also we invite while together we stand and we say.